0: hey what it do sports fans welcome to the sports live podcast brought to you by multimedia live i'm Swoom Jigeliso, your host and i will be joined by various guests on this exciting new podcast to discuss the latest ins and outs of the sporting world And welcome to yet another episode of the Sports Live Podcast. Yeah, that's right. This award-winning podcast is back. And you would have heard us last week. And we were talking about the legacy of EL10s. Island 10s, of course, that happened in December. Guys like and Tubini as well as Sikumbuzo Noche featured on this podcast. They were part of the organizers for that event, which was amazing. I was there, of course, Island London being my hometown. I could not miss out. I had a chat with those two guys. And if you miss that conversation, you need to go back and listen to it because there are nuggets, there are gems, so many wonderful things that those guys are doing that I feel ought to be, you know, enunciated, man. They also speak about, you know, their careers as well, how far they've gone. I mean, Skumbuzo Noche is from a place called Kobokobo, which is known as Kaiskamahook, which uh, their previous springbok was a guy called Jongi Nokwe. It's a place right outside of King Williamstown where you wouldn't really expect to find the best rugby players. Pretty similar to where Makazole Mapimpi is from, which is uh, Cholonga, you know, very rural, very underdeveloped area, but they love their rugby there. I'd even spoken to a guy like Fajma Beta last year and he said he ended up in, in a Kobot Kobo one time and they were playing a game of touch rugby and he thought, oh, OK, I'm a pro. Let me join them, you know. Let am going to chuck the ball around with these guys and uh, see how it goes. He says they ran him rugged. He was he pulled a hamstring uh, 15 minutes in and he was like, OK, guys, now I've had enough. So that kind of shows you how passionate those guys are about their rugby. And in the last episode, we spoke to one of the guys from there, of course, Sikumbuzo Noche, as well as Skaran Tubeny, about the, the legacy of East and 10s and what it means to people of the Eastern Cape region. And uh, this week, though, we've deviated a little further than what you're used to, a little further from the main sports. This week, we have Kirsten Landman. She is a hard enduro uh, rally rider, and we have entered into the realm of motorsport this week. She is currently in the throngs of the Dakar Rally, where she is one of only two African women to enter this race. And now now this is where things get a little interesting, is the second woman who was also on the starting grid at the Dakar Rally uh, to be in the history books as one of the first women, African women, to ride the Dakar Rally is Tay Perry, who also happens to be from East London. Yeah, that's right. She is from East London. She is a two-time former National Off-Road Women's title winner. Uh, Five times her Gauteng cross-country club champion between 2010 and 2012 and between 2014 and 2015. And uh, she's done a whole lot. She's done the Toyota Desert 1000 race and finished third overall. I think Kirsten Landman has won the the, the Desert 1000 a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. But we're going to get into that conversation. So here we are, uh, second podcast of 2020. And we have delved into sports that are largely untouched and largely unfavored and we're really putting the kind of content that we feel you guys ought to come here and you'll know what you're going to get. You're going to get stuff that's not usually reported on and you're going to get rich conversations and that's what we're about. So my conversation with Kirsten Landman's full 30 minute long and she talks about her amazing journey where... Uh, she had an accident in 2013 while she was in Botswana doing a race in Botswana, which I wrote about on New Frame. And thank you again to the guys of New Frame, who are absolutely amazing, who put out great stuff. And in her uh, attempts to, to to ride in Botswana, this was in 2013, Kirsten Landman got into a very very severe accident whereby she had a lacerated spleen a severed pancreas and a ripped small intestine this was during a double groove in an s-bend during the second day of the botswana thousand desert race and it sent her enduro motorbike uh, into a tree stump and you know she didn't have any outward visible injuries Instead, they were all internal. So they didn't think she was hurt that badly. In fact, it took her 36 hours for her to get proper medical treatment. And really, she was at death's door. She was in a world of pain. Uh, she didn't know what was wrong with her. The doctors in Botswana, um, as we get into this conversation, you'll find out that they weren't really equipped to deal with those in- injuries. And she had to be airlifted from Botswana to, to South Africa, where she finally... 36 or 39 hours later, uh, she got the medical attention that she needed. And the doctor flat out told her that, you know, she's very lucky to be alive. He actually didn't know how in the world she still managed to be alive with a raptured small intestine and i describe in the story i did for new frame as the Amelia earhart of hard enduro racing because for me she is a pioneer not only that she her recovery story man is one that should be told over and over again she'll probably venture into the motivational speaking realm once she's done with her hard enduro racing but for now she's experiencing what it's like to to tough it out in the dakar rally and she's doing well From what I'm told, I'm following the updates on social media. I suggest you do the same. So in the 42-year history of the race, we... We South Africans are proud to say that we brought the first two African women to the Dakar, Tay Perry, as well as Kirsten Landman. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation I had with Kirsten Landman. Thank you again to the guys that made sure uh, I had the interview on lock, Mike Sharman, as well as uh, Ben Karpinski of Retro Viral and Retroactive. But I'll leave it at that and do enjoy this conversation. If you take anything out of it, it's a story of endurance. Yeah excuse the pun. All right, this is Kirsten Landman. It's a pleasure to meet you, Kirsten, and welcome to the Sports Live Podcast, and I think this is Probably the most diverse we've gone in terms of sports in the podcast, which is pretty new. It's only about six months old, but it is a pleasure to have you on and welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. As we're
0: speaking, as we're recording this, you are preparing for the Dakar Rally. Obviously, by the time this comes out, you will obviously be in Saudi Arabia. Are you looking forward to that?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. It's been, it's been a long journey and um, I can't believe that we're a month away from it. And, yeah, uh, super, super, super exciting. Um, two years of hard work and preparation, and it all comes down to the last month and two weeks of racing in Saudi.
0: How do you prepare for any motor sport event? Do you, like, have to eat a certain way, drink loads of water?
1: Yeah, so uh, riding motorbikes is most people initially think that the motorbike does all the work, but yeah. it's the complete opposite, you must remember. We ride in a motorbike that weighs... So, my Enduro bike will weigh 120 kilos, and then my Dakar bi- bike weighs 180 kilos. So, you maneuvering that anywhere. thing. And I weigh now seventy three <laughs> so um, it's been a huge adjustment um preparing for Dakar, but I've been mm-hmm. on my motorbike my whole life. I've been riding since I was eight, so for me it's as easy as walking yeah. um, but this whole adjustment in prepping for Dakar has been very different for the last two years in terms of prepping for it because it is a motorbike, but it's very different to what I'm used to you know so the weight uh, the weight distribution, the power of the motorbike, and yeah. of course prepping for a race like Dakar I mean I've never ridden on a motorbike for 12 days in a row I've never covered 8000 k's in 12 days and um, I've never done the Dakar so um, I don't know what to expect but from my experiences gained in racing hard enduro and stuff I'm I'm hoping that I'm going to be prepared I've done the best that I can do to prepare so it um, will hopefully it'll all go according to plan Maybe no, part of the KTM team, right? Yeah, so I ride for the Brother Leader Trade KTM South Africa team. Yeah. So it's like a South Africa's factory team here. Mm-hmm. And um, so they've been I've been on the team for seven years already, so I'm a vet on the team. Yeah. And um, yeah, they've been super supportive in my career in terms of the enduro's extreme enduro's and racing around the world. And it's all been a part of the process into into making this decision and, and getting to Dakar.
0: Do you have a coach mentor, that gets you through your regimen just to prepare yourself for what you're going to face in Saudi Arabia?
1: So I've got a coach who coaches me on the motorbike. His name is William Gillett. Um, yeah. I've been working with him for years. I've been riding with Will since I was 15. Shout out to Will. Yeah, yeah Will's a good oak. Uh, he's a he's a real character. Yeah. And um, he's taught me most things that I know. And he's also he's brought up a lot of the top South African riders that are in the, the best in the world now. So yeah. he's really good. Um, you know, I've got a lot of guys that I've looked up to and mentors that I've had Uh, coach me and and train me, guys like Daryl Curtis, Joey Evans, um, and then I've got um, a lady who's completely separate to the riding community who's been working on mind work with me. So, you know, I've got a lot of people from all aspects coming in and helping out because there's a lot that goes into it, you know, being a professional sports person in general.
0: um, I was about to get into that mind conversation. I like the the mental aspect Mm. of sports, you know, and what's your mental preparation like and I know specifically for you it would be a, uh, quite a focus, I would think, especially after the accident yeah. in 2013, was it? That's right. In Botswana. So right now, do you focus a lot on getting your mind sharp and getting over some anxieties and, and that kind of stuff?
1: So initially when I came about to making this decision, it was beginning of 2017 when the idea was sparked and um, I pondered on the thought myself for a year um, where I didn't really voice it out loud to anyone until until the end of 2017, because of um, the fears that I had faced from my accident in 2013. Yeah. I mean, Dakar I, is a high speed race, and many people die. I mean, the rally has been going for 42, 41 years, and I think there's been nearly 70 something deaths. So the death rate is high, and um, yeah, nearly. Um, so it is it is quite scary and. Yeah and again it's it's a high speed race, and I swore after my accident never to do high speed racing again so as as part of this, I was like, I've got to face my fears head on and um no better way to do it than doing the Dakar Rally. So that for me was a big thing to overcome myself. But then when I made the decision, I was like, I can't do this by myself. And uh, I met a lady that's, that lives down in Natal. Um, her name is Jeanette Thorpe, and she's she's been a intricate part of everything I've done. I mean, she yeah. apart from well as well as working with me on the bike and 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 you know overcoming difficulties that I face on the bike as much as it, as much as being fit is such a huge part of it, but knowing to to when you get to that point where you think that you've hit a wall, you gotta carry on because you've still got three, four, five, six more walls that you're gonna hit that you can still get through. I mean, we I've been put into the deepest, darkest places where I just wanted to die, crawl under my bike and die (laughs) and not wake up because it's so it is, it's such a physically demanding sport and so much so that it'll push you to the point where you you're vomiting and you're crying and you hate in life, but you know you just got to carry on. And the only way you can get out there is by getting on your motorbike and carry on riding. So I mean, I've faced a lot of those challenges in all the races that I've done, and I'm so glad I've been through that because I can tell you now I'm going to face that in Dakar. And once you get into that um, that deep dark place, to not let that, to not go deeper into that dark place, to come out of it and 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 try see the positives and and to to kind of like look back to see how far you've come to go further yeah. so because that's probably been the biggest thing for me you know i mean i've had so many doubts all the time can i do this i mean it's we i'm human um we all go through those things so um um having also having uh, a lot of the country backing me and supporting me has also been a bit been a good thing you know and then again it crosses my mind all the time you know we spent two years prepping for this um a lot of time and money has gone into it and I I sometimes wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what happens if I don't it's finish? a lot of
0: responsibility yeah. as well. Like yeah. when you get that wave of support, you kind of feel like you don't want to let people That's down. That's exactly it. Yeah, as well. I mean, it, it must be one hell of a feat to be able to get yourself up for it every, every single day. What are some of the sort of mental milestones you'll say? You'll say, okay, I've done this. Um, or maybe on the bike, you'll be able to say, I used to be afraid to go at certain speeds. Um, Now I'm able to cross that barrier. What are just some of the small little milestones you've gone through and said, okay, now I'm able to do this, I'm able to do that. It means it's a sign that I'm getting back to my confidence, my speed confidence, or I'm getting over that fear, overtaking that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: So initially when I, when I, when I, got this idea to da- to do Dakar and I, I doubted myself because I had never really done a, I had never really raced a rally yeah. and I went to the Mazuga rally which was my qualifying rally in, in April this year and I started to train off the road book. Uh, so a road book is like, um, it's our route on a paper scroll mm-hmm. that sits on the mount, on the navigation mount on the front of the motorbike. And you literally, it's it's on a piece of paper. It's old school. It's it's the, it's the legend of Dakar, which makes yeah. it so cool. And everyone rides off one of those things. So um, it's, you get your kilometer reading, you get your directional reading, and then you get an information reading, which is marked in French. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn a little bit of, <laughs> <laughs> learn the translations of what it means. And you, while you're I mean, I can't speak a word, but I've learned yeah. to translate the French in the exa, into the exact English. Yeah. So um, when you're riding, you're scrolling the whole time at each kilometer. So when I started to learn about the roadbook, I realized that riding off a roadbook is actually so safe, depending on the the guy who marked the roadbook, because you know at exactly what kilometer what is coming up. So they mark off danger markings, they mark off a dip in the road, they'll mark off rocks in the road. I mean, these oaks are spending... A year putting together. I mean, imagine doing a road book of 8,000 kilometers. It's massive. And also, they've also got to take into consideration that the guys are going to be riding down a straight at 180 kilometers an hour. Mm -hmm. So they mark them really, really well. And when I started riding off the road book, it kind of put my mind at ease because racing nationally around South Africa and then also around the world, we ride off just normal GPSs, Garmin little e-trix GPSs, which is literally you're a dot on an arrow and you follow an arrow. There's no form of um, information on that little GPS, whereas a road book, you've got all the information of what's in front of you, where you're turning, um, what kilometer you're at. So when I started doing that, it made me really realize that, listen, you can only navigate as fast as you go, but also if you're not following your road book and watching it carefully, mm-hmm. that's how the accidents do happen.
0: Right, so, so you have to pay attention. You are
1: paying attention to your... Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I, what I like. That's what I love most about railing. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a very expensive little hobby that I've fallen <laughs> yeah. in love with um, because it is... Yeah. It's like, if I can explain to you, it's like playing a PlayStation game and you are collecting little... Um, tokens along the way as you, as you go and if you are on the correct road book which you which we will be you pick up these little yes. things called waypoints they're hidden waypoints okay. and uh, if your navigation smart you'll pick up all your little waypoints and when your little system beeps because you've picked up um your way, your waypoint you're like yes and then you go on to the next one at the and at the end of the day if you've collected all your waypoints um and if you've missed some the the uh, every single waypoint that you miss you get a time penalty so going back to one of the milestones that I was worried about you know the high speed of Dakar and the danger of Dakar is the fact that it's a lot of it has got a lot better because I'm so I love the road book I love riding off of it and because it's so informative so that was when I started riding off the road book i mean i had only ever watched Dakar and I never really had experienced what it was like to ride a Dakar motorbike and ride off navigation <laughs> and when I started to ride off the navigation I realized okay this if you're good at your navigation you watch your road book and you know you ride smart you know you can avoid the accidents because yeah, yeah. the moment most guys have all the accidents is when they're following someone in front of them they're not following their road book and they don't see the dip in the road because they're not watching the road book and that's when they have the accidents or they um, get hit by another car or another bike or another something coming up. But and again, um, my goal is to go there to finish and um, you know uh, ride a smart race and hit all hit all the waypoints and um, just finish. So uh, uh, that's that's my goal. And 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 I, I do believe that my navigation is really good. So I think yeah. if navigation's good, I'll, I'll have a good race. How happy are you to just be alive? Oh, stoked. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea. You know, everyone has, says that saying, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I nearly had my life taken away from me. And I was I was blessed enough to get a, a second chance on life. And I, after that accident, once I woke up and came to my senses, I swore never to take life for granted, to live each day like it's my last. And that's what I have done. Um, I mean, every opportunity I've been given... Um, and every opportunity I haven't been given, I've made sure I've worked towards it so that I've got made sure that opportunity came about. Yeah, I mean, like cool. um, Dakar, most people only ever dream of doing it, but um, we've we worked hard, put it together. And, of course, there's a lot of people that come, come with it, but um, it was a goal. It was just an idea, and, and here we are just waiting before the race to start. So, um I don't take anything for granted, um, I love spending the time with my family, um, I love spending time with my dogs, I love spending time with my friends, and I do everything to the fullest.
0: And do you ever get, like, like dreams and, and, and like flashbacks to, to, to that accident in, in Botswana?
1: Um, a lot of the time, and especially now, you know, um, I'm kind of. My mom says I'm like an ostrich. I put my head in the ground and I let the world carry on going behind me, and that's what I did with the accident. And since um, you know this whole story's come up with um, with Ryobi and, and working with the media guys, wanting to know more about the story, I've had I've had to live it a lot more, and I've had to. And now, even since we've been talking about it, um, I've started to. F- to remember a lot more of this stuff, just because okay. it's not that I forgot it, I just didn't think about you it. Put it I put it behind me, so yeah. um, I'm starting to remember a hell of a lot more stuff from the accident and what I went through, and, and, and it's all coming back. Yeah. Um, I
0: know you spent, um, was it 33 hours or 36, 36. hours before you actually got operated on yeah. after
1: the actual accident so, okay, so we, I, I remember like um a lot of it is when i went to the gaborone private hospital which was probably the worst for me um um you know experiencing being in that hospital um it wasn't a nice experience also because obviously at the time i don't know what was wrong with me but we had to go through all the ct scans and sonars and uh, which wasn't a pleasant experience from my side. Um, you know, the hospital wasn't really well equipped. They didn't have enough bedding. Um, it's just you know, in that in that space of not knowing where you are and what's wrong with you, and then just all the hiccups on the way before I got before I got operated on, and then of course um, the pain from when I woke up of of small things like when I had my lungs drained. Um, that's something I won't forget. It's that was probably the most painful thing I'd ever been through, yeah. and the doctor did say it's we're having your lung drained because they go in between your ribs yeah it is yeah so that was exceptionally sore. and just like small things like having a catheter in i mean you don't think about those things but it is so uncomfortable and it's so invasive and 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 also lying in bed i mean i mean I, even though i wasn't i wasn't I was, in, I was i was in hospital for two weeks but being in that position where you you move in all the time and you get bed sores and that uncomfortable feeling of yeah. having bed sores i mean i don't even want to know what it's like for people who have been in bed or in hospital for months it must be terrible um and small things like that and then um just you, you know um the, like if you think about I, I had an allergic reaction to the food that i was being fed um intravenously Jeez. and so thinking about how nauseous the food that they because they didn't know because i was i was yeah, I, I was getting so sick but they didn't know that i was having an allergic reaction to the food and only after a while but it's things like that and like now after the operation, I had a complication six weeks after um, my small intestine rebirth. But before I was before I'd rebirth, I was in hospital for a week, and they were trying to get um, me to. They were making me drink this fluid stuff to try and make me pl- pass the blockage, and like now I can't drink any sort of medicine. Because it just reminds me of that medicine I had to drink so anything with an oily substance I'll just with the smell it's a, it's the it's the texture of anything oily because I had to drink like this oily oily substance so that they could track the 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 blockage in the small intestine and then I'll go for x-ray So anything now with an oily substance that I have to drink like medicine. Oh, I'm like talking about it now <laughs> And then and then also like a, the smell of a hospital so you know that's know, that that's strong like, that for me just yeah. and then a beeping noise so anything that repetitively beeps or, do, or like there's a noise yeah, yeah. it freaks me out like in a car if i'm in a car and something goes doof doof doof
0: like the seatbelt.
1: Uh, that i can't handle yeah. that or like if you go because when i was in obviously when i was in icu everyone was on a life support machine around me as well as me so a, even uh, though i was out but even a The constant beep it drives me mad i can't i can't be around and when i hear it i have to get away from it if it's somewhere so small things like that that just freak me out yeah (laughs) it's amazing what you can overcome and and at the same time our bodies are so fragile but our minds are so strong yeah what you can overcome with a positive strong mind Absolutely. It's it's in, it's incredible, and 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 a lot of things is I think we either you know that's that that saying you you either fight fight or flight. Yeah. it's exactly the same. So either you'll shy away from something and never face it, or you'll fight it and overcome it. So yeah. um, it's the strong ones that fight and overcome it and make the best of it of a bad situation.
0: Would you ever a, a public speak, or do you public speak and so share I've, a story?
1: I've done. Um, I went. I've done a few. Um, I, I know I need to get better at it. I'm quite shy in front of a crowd. Um, you know, if, if I'm talking about, like, my motorbikes and stuff, no problem. But put me on yeah, stage yeah. in front of a group of people. So. If I'm talking to guys from the riding community, no problem. But, like, put me in front. Like, I did a, I did a, a talk at St. um not too long ago, the water polo team. Those guys don't know anything about motorbike, so I was like, ugh. But I mean, if uh, yeah. but it's I think it's just something I need to get used to, yeah. um, and just get used to. Also, you know, I just need to, you know, figure out my story in the in the best way to tell it and um, and how to tell it. But um, yeah, I've, uh, you're not the first person who's told me I need to get into public speaking and, and yeah. motivational talking.
0: No, I think it's an incredible story. I mean
1: like i said i've met i met a lot
0: of people who've overcome some of the most incredible things um and you know the fact that you're actually going to the car and that that in itself is 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 a bit you could you could just talk about the yeah. Dakar experience and eulogize about it for sure um for 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 years and that could inspire somebody not s- certainly not specifically who's a, a, a an enduro rider or anything like mm. that but anything they feel seems impossible or they've gone through this or gone yeah. through that and and I think it you just never know what, what you could spark, you know. For sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think your story is, is quite incredible. But obviously Thank it's you. not over yet you're still gonna Yeah.
1: We still got a whole chapter on. to write. Yeah,
0: plenty <laughs> more chapters to write. And what are you what are your bigger goals after you're done racing?
1: i have no idea for <laughs> <laughs> so well, now everyone says to me what's next what's and next
0: you
1: yeah you know what my this is my life um yeah. i will still do i will do something within it um might be something going into motivational speaking i might write a book i don't yeah. know um i do i i love riding motorbikes and there is a world of riders out there so i would like to i love traveling okay. so um you know i like i've been, Asked to do a lot of schools around the world, and um, I still, I'm still, I'm still young, so there's still a hell of a lot more racing I want to do um, worldwide. And you know, a lot of people do one Dakar and they end up doing ten. We'll see. Yeah,
0: yeah. What's so, the typical lifespan of a rider?
1: So with Dakar, um, you know, it, you don't. I mean, there's guys that have done Dakar. I think the oldest guys like in his sixties or something. But I mean, it's it's not too long. I mean, I I can't really speak because the the current world number one extreme enduro rider is forty. I think he's forty two or forty three, and he's right. doing except he's beating all the youngsters. So, but he's just like a freak. But I don't know. Um, I think I've got another good five years left in me. Um, also, you know, I've been racing. I've been doing this since I was eight. You know, twenty eight.
0: Oh, yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah i think i still i've got a lot in me and i just feel like my career has kicked off you know even though i've done so much already yeah, yeah. um this is i finally feel like i'm reaping the rewards of a lot of hard work over all the years so i think there's still so much more to do mm-hmm. uh, there's still so much more to achieve mm-hmm. there's still like you say still so many more people to inspire yeah. and that's what i want to keep doing
0: I so saw on YouTube you have quite the mean trophy collection <laughs> at home or in your garage, uh, which is like looks like a mad scientist. Like, <laughs> um, which would you say uh, was your favorite favorite event? Not necessarily maybe um, the race itself, but maybe the location, or maybe the you know the country that you visited,
1: or maybe the experience and the people you were with. So I would say my. Uh Probably one of my favorite places to ride is in Lesotho. We offer there next week because we 've got the roof of Africa, so that's the event yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um so it's the it's it's a race that's been going for I think this is its fifty second year already um one of the longest and jurors in the world uh, Lesotho is one of the most beautiful places i've ever ridden uh the locals they are wonderful people yeah. um it's some of the craziest riding I've ever ridden. Like, it's really hard. The terrain is, is, is really rocky, it's super technical. The weather can be extreme. I mean, two years ago, you know, December, it's supposed to be hot and sunny. We had snow. It was freezing. So, um, it very like, you never know what to expect. You can start the race in the morning in snow, and then by midday it can be 35 degrees, and then in the afternoon it could be raining. So, it's literally like four seasons in the day. But um, it's a cool race um,
0: And it's an incredible altitude as well
1: Yeah, yeah. yes, we variate from 1,000 metres up to 4,000, it's crazy yeah, So um, you, there is so much Different stuff there and it's just It's beautiful, the, the culture of the Country and I mean I've been racing there For, this will be my 7th Roof of Africa mm-hmm.
0: So I so really love
1: it over there. I love it over there And yeah. and everyone says to me, hey you're doing Roof before Dakar it's, it's Roof is One of my favourite races, it's something I look forward to every year so yeah
0: so what do you what do you know of the country um is is it i don't know it's dakar was in south america before and uh, it's been it's been around to quite a few countries yeah correct. um the saudi arabia league i think is it's the first time it, I think it's the first time yeah correct that so. should be a different different sort of experience whole lot more sand
1: I think. Yeah. Than in any other country. So from the racing perspective, I'm speaking um, from what's been going around. I mean mm-hmm. I've never done a Dakar, but from for the for the guys it's I think they're all looking forward to it who've been doing Dakars for years because I mean with the race being in South America for the last ten years I think it's just the routes have become so overridden mm-hmm. and um they've been doing the same routes for many years. Now we're going to a new country, new routes, no one knows what to expect.
0: Kinda of evens
1: the plane. It completely <laughs> evens the plane. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. It evens the plane fields, no one knows what to expect. So everyone's going there as kind of like a Mm -hmm. first-timer the country itself I don't know so much about Saudi Arabia from what I've read um, you know it's not a holiday destination (laughs) country I wouldn't choose that as my holiday destination but I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised Um, I'm going there with an open mind um and lots of long baggy clothes <laughs>
0: so,
1: um but uh, i think it's going to be pretty cool um i'm always open to new cultures cultures and yeah, um experiences those things so this is going to be i'm just thinking of you know, this is a big adventure which yeah. is what it's going to be um but uh, uh the saudis have got big money and that's why they haven't dakar in their country and i think they want to prove something to the world so i think we're in for a good show
0: Awesome. I'm sure you'll represent South Africa pretty well.
1: Okay? I hope so. <laughs>
0: right. Okay. Thanks for chatting to me. Thank you for um, having me. I really appreciate it.
1: That oh, sure was cool. we
0: got plenty to get through before that, Daka. Really, obviously, by the time our listeners listen to this, you will be in the thrones of the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you seem very relaxed. Um,
1: right now, yeah, it's still, month. month, yeah, so we, we nearly conference. so today's the 28th. Okay. I fly on the 31st, so exactly a month ago before we fly out. Do you get nervous? Oh, oh get nervous. every time, every day closer, I've got a countdown timer on my phone that reminds me every day. And yeah. each day that we get closer to it, um, the mountain gets bigger, the nerves get bigger, but so does the excitement. So there's a lot to look forward to. It's been, like I say, it's been a long journey preparing for this and I can't believe we're a month away. And before we know it, we're jetting off to, to Saudi and um, I'll, probably, I'll probably think back to this and I'll remember saying this is, it's done, it's over, got my finishers medal, you know, and I can't believe it's all gone so quickly, yeah, I wish yeah. it had slowed down. So it's always like that. Um, but I'm very excited. Yeah. Uh, my preparations gone exactly the way I wanted it to, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm I feel like I'm well prepared, and now it's just the waiting game. Yeah, take it all
0: in and make the best of it.
1: Thank you, thank you very all much. South will be really thank great. you. Sure.
0: That's it from me, Spum Chigeliso, and you've been listening to the Sports Live Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Do also catch us on timeslive.co.za, as well as Sowetan Live, Business Live. We are also on IONO FM, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. It could be Spotify, Stitcher, Cashbox, Pocket Cost, wherever. To connect with us, please use the hashtag SportsLive. Share your comments with us at TimesLive or at Sowetan Live on Twitter. A big thank you goes out to the Multimedia Live team led by Scott Peter Smith and producer Paige Muller, as well as the Tso Blackstar Digital Sports Department headed by Mninawa Mchana Njoko. Our sound and audio mixer is innocent. Manike. From us at the SportsLive podcast, it's goodbye for now.